morning, everyone, and everyone on live stream. Glad that you can join us today. Yes, we're looking and continuing with our Easter series, The Last Words of Jesus, the seven words that he spoke, or seven phrases that he spoke on the cross. Now, so what I'm looking at today is the words that Jesus spoke to the criminal that was crucified next to him. Uh, He said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. So let's read the full account together. It's Luke 23 and um, 32 to 34, and this is where it goes. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him and they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's God's the Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also came down and mocked him and they offered him vinegar and said, you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly. I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, there was nothing said or done leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus or his time on the cross that was an accident or a coincidence. Everything and everything he did and everything that happened and everything that he said had significance, even those seven phrases on the cross, even the fact that there were seven things that Jesus said. In Hebrew thought and in the Hebrew scriptures, seven is a very important reoccurring theme, and it's, the word seven is taken from the Hebrew, the Hebrew root of the word, word that means fullness or completion or oath. So even the fact that Jesus said seven things, it's talking about he's bringing everything into completion. And God's covenant, God's promise, God's oath was going to be executed on earth through what Jesus was doing in those few hours that he hung on the cross. Everything that Jesus experienced and everything that he said was filled with destiny and significance. Even the fact that he was crucified in between two criminals. And 700 years ago before this happened, it was prophesied that Jesus would be crucified or numbered amongst the the criminals or the transgressors. Those who had transgressed, to be transgressors, to break a law or go beyond a boundary. It says in Isaiah, my righteous servant will justify many 
and he will bear their iniquities. Now look at the context of this. He's talking about justify. To justify somebody is to proclaim somebody not guilty. But who is he justifying? What's the context? He's declaring those who are got, um, not guilty by bearing their iniquities. So though they're guilty, he declares them not guilty. And it goes on, therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he's poured out his life unto death. He was numbered amongst the transgressions. There it is. He was numbered amongst them. And why? Because he bore the sin of many. He bore the sin of the transgressors. He bore the sin of the guilty that he may justify them, count them not guilty. He made intercession for the transgressors, it says. The word intercession means to be a go-between or to stand in the gap or to be a representative or a substitute. This was 700 years ago before it happened. It wasn't an accident. It was filled with significance. And now God's purpose and destiny was actually unfolding before the eyes of those who watched. So the first thing I want to say this morning as we look at these, this phrase, this day you'll be with me in paradise, and Jesus hanging on the cross between two criminals, first thing I want to say is that Jesus identified with us as sinners and lawbreakers. That's why he hung there on the cross in between two lawbreakers. And he identified with them. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't standing back. He was amongst them. He, was, he, he became one of them. The Bible says he came in the form of a human being, and every, uh, actually the scriptures say he came in the form of sinful flesh because we've all done things wrong, yet he knew no sin. So he identified with us in our humanity, yet he did not sin. It says in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He identifies with our weakness, but he at all points was tempted as we were, but without sin. He was baptized for forgiveness, but he didn't need forgiveness. When he went up to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, no, I'm not unworthy to untie your shoelaces. You should be baptizing me, not you. And he says, no, for the sake of all righteousness, let this be done. And what he was doing as a human being who'd never did anything wrong, he was identifying with those who were confessing their sins and being baptized for forgiveness. Total identification, even though he didn't need to. He was pronounced guilty for the he was pronounced guilty of sin, but he never committed the thing that he was pronounced guilty of. He was sentenced to be punished for a sin that was not his. He was taken to where criminals die, even though he wasn't a criminal. He was carried, he carried public shame in front of everybody, even though he was blameless. He took the insults that he didn't deserve. He bore the, sin, the punishment for the wrongs of the world, even though that he didn't deserve to be punished. And he did this deliberately. He did this intentionally. He did this willingly so that he could offer forgiveness and a way back to God. And here's the thing. In this short summary of Jesus' identification, we realized that there was no limit to what he would not go through. No depth of human suffering that he would not 
Be willing to experience. The book of Peter says in 1.3.18, For Christ suffered. For Christ suffered. He suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. And in the passage that we've just read about Jesus dying between these two criminals, we see a remarkable thing. The power of Jesus' work on the cross. The power of it. And here it is. Two criminals. One joining in the insults. One joining in the accusers. One joining in those who sneered at him. One rejecting him. Even while he was dying on the cross, he was rejecting Christ. As those who crucified him rejected him. And yet there was another criminal, also guilty, dying on the cross. But this criminal, when he saw Christ suffering, he didn't see a guilty man, he saw his innocence. He says, don't you fear God? We deserve what we're experiencing here, but this man has done nothing wrong. As he looked at Jesus, he didn't see the guilty one, he saw the innocent one. As he looked at Jesus, he saw his righteousness. And remarkably, as he looked at Jesus, he saw his divine kingship. He says, when you come into your kingdom, Lord... And he didn't just see a normal kingdom. The revelation that he got, the understanding that he got was when you come into your kingdom, once you're died and you come into your kingdom, this isn't an earthly kingdom. This is a divine kingdom. This is a life after death kingdom. This is an other kingdom. This is a kingdom from another world. You're a king, not of this world. And he saw it on the cross. The power of the cross. That when we look at it and we gaze upon it, and we let it do what's our work. It opens our eyes to something extraordinary that is not of this world. He looks at Christ's suffering. And he doesn't see a guilty man. But he sees a king who is God. Who is a kingdom not of this world. And he turns to him. Not like the man who rejected. Not like the, the thief who rejected. He turns to him, not with rejection and sneering and insult, but he turns to him and he says, remember me. In the light of what I've seen, in the light of what I've heard, in the light of what I've observed, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, truly, truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. How we respond to Jesus on the cross. His death on the cross, his work on the cross determines whether we die with him or we die without him. Whether we're in his kingdom after life or not. To the one who rejected, Jesus said nothing. He left him. He was left in his own sin and lost state without hope or forgiveness or paradise after death. 
to the one who turned, Jesus immediately acknowledged his plea for mercy and salvation. And even though he was a criminal about to die, he found an assurance of life after death and being with Jesus. Jesus said, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, note, truly, is a, true, Jesus often says, truly, I say to you. Some versions put it, truly, truly. If you're leading an old version, it's Valerie, Valerie. But it's a, it's a unique phrase to Jesus. He used it often when he was establishing a profound truth and authority issued by God himself that he wanted you to take notice of. It's basically saying, listen up, heads up, no word of the lie, this is gospel. Take note of this. And he said to this dying criminal, what I'm saying to you now, I want you to listen, this is gospel, this is no word or lie. I'm saying to you this, and I really want you to listen up and understand and get this. Because of your response to me today, you will be with me in paradise. Total assurance. And this is the power of the work of the cross. This is why Jesus came to die. That he could make this assertion, no matter what our state, no matter what our condition, no matter what we've done or where we are. Jesus went to the depth of human suffering and rejection and shame. He took the full sin of human sin, the de depravity and the horror of it. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What does that mean? Think of this. All the sin of the world, not just your sin, all the sin of the world. Every sin that's ever been committed from the beginning of time to the end of time, it was poured into his body. And it says, Jesus, who knew no sin, think of this, such was that which was poured into his body, every bad thought, every bad word, everything you can think. Now, we know that we are living and have lived in a bad world. And you don't need to tell me you, don't me, you don't need me to tell you the horrors of the sins that have happened in the world, let alone the things that we are guilty and ashamed of. And it says all the sin of the world on that cross was poured into Jesus Christ. And so it says, he who knew no sin became, note that word, became sin. Think of that. Not just poured into it, he became sin itself. He experienced its horror, its torment, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ justified, counted not guilty. Not just not guilty, but become as righteous as God himself in Christ. We're clothed in Jesus' righteousness, even though 
we are guilty. So Jesus, let me put it this way, he scraped the bottom of the barrel for this man who was dying on the cross and for every single human being in the world so that we could have a choice to turn to him so he could forgive utterly and totally and immediately. And this was the dying thief's experience. You're dying for sins that you deserve. But this day, truly I say to you, this day you are totally, utterly and immediately forgiven because you have turned totally, utterly, immediately forgiven and you will be with me in paradise. The first thing we see is that Jesus took him to himself. And that's what he offers us, to take us to himself. You will be with me. With me. Not just you'll be in paradise, you'll be with me. He wants us to be with him because he loves us. He became like us in his death so that we could be with him in his life. Now, as you know, over many weeks now, we've been running Imagine Heaven courses in the church, and people, churches across Wales are doing this as well. And these Imagine Heaven courses are sh- six-week short videos that you watch a video and discussion about people who have had near-death experiences. And in their near-death experiences, they have died, and they've gone to heaven, and because it's a near-death experience, they've come back to share what they had experienced in heaven. And the course analyzes and looks at all the common things that people have said in experiences and relate them to what the Bible says. And here are some of the common things they say. There's friends there who have given their lives to Christ and also died, and family, friends, and they have a great reunion. They say colors. There are so many colors. There's colors that you've never seen before, because it's not of this world. Now, can you imagine looking at a color that you have never seen before? You can't, can you? But they, they do. They say, there's colors I've never seen before. Music and notes that they've never heard before. Love, a depth of love that they've never experienced before that is actually healing. Can you imagine being so loved that just by experiencing it, all of your pains and your wounds and your fears and your rejections and the, thing of, and the things that torment you and cause us not to be whole and experience quality life and not ourselves get healed in that moment just through the power of love? Joy that is unspeakable. And the centerpiece of heaven, everybody says, is Jesus. They get to be with Jesus and meet him and encounter his love like never before. One person who turned to Christ just before they died and had their near-death experience describes it this way. I found myself beginning to weep uncontrollably. I found myself beginning to weep uncontrollably as the love became stronger and stronger. It was so clean and pure 
No strings attached. God was there when I asked for forgiveness in the ambulance. It was then he forgave me my sins and washed my spirit clean, just like that dying thief, in that moment. This love was so healing my heart, I began to understand, understand there is incredible hope for humankind in this love. As I stepped into the light, it was like walking inside veils of suspended, shimmering lights. Like suspended stars of diamonds giving off the amazing radiance. Standing in the center of the light stood a man, dazzling, with white robes reaching to his ankles. I could see his bare feet. The garments were not made of fabrics. They were like garments of light. As he welcomed me, I looked towards his face. It was so bright. It made the sun look yellow and pale in comparison. It was so bright that I couldn't make out the features of his face. I knew I was standing in the presence of Almighty God. No one could look like this. Jesus said to the dying man on the cross, This day you will be with me. In paradise. What a wonderful thing to be with Jesus and in the presence of his healing love and light. Now he used the term paradise, not heaven. And that's because Old Testament believers understood there was a waiting place in the Old Testament before Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, as you look through the Old Testament, the waiting place is called Sheol. The Greek word is Hades. Sheol is a place where the, de the departed souls go. You will read it through the Psalms time and time again. You will not allow your, leave your Holy One to corruption in Sheol. You will not allow me you know, to, to, to remain in Sheol. You will read it time and time again. If you ever read it and don't know what it is, now you do. And Hades or Sheol has a, a place called paradise where the righteous souls go, where those who believed in God in the Old Testament and through their faith looking forward to Jesus that was represented in the sacrifices that were their substitute, they received their forgiveness through the Old Testament sacrifices that pointed to Jesus. So the righteous people like King David and the prophets and Moses, they all went to Sheol, and it's a waiting place. And they would wait there until, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. And then there was also another place, uh, part of Sheol, where the souls of those who had rejected God and were unrepentant and unbelieving went. So when Jesus died upon the cross... And they put his body in the tomb. His body was in the tomb, but his righteous soul went to paradise. And that's where the thief went. This day you will be with me in paradise. The thief who turned went there through mercy. There was no such promise for the other thief. 
And then after the resurrection, Jesus went back to heaven and all the righteous souls in Sheol now get taken to heaven to be with Jesus. A shift took place. And it talks in the book of Ephesians. Paul says this. It says, he who ascended. What does it mean? It actually says this in Ephesians 4. What does it mean that he who ascended, that means he who went up into heaven, it also means that he went down to the depths. So when his body was in the grave, where was he before his resurrection? He went down into the depths, into paradise, to take all the righteous souls back with him to heaven when he was resurrected, but also he went to the other place to speak to the lost and proclaim his victory. It says in the book of Peter, he, he, he preached to the imprisoned spirits who disobeyed God long ago. But now Jesus, risen from the dead, back to heaven. And Jesus speaks about this. And in the Gospels, and there's a portion of Scripture in the Gospels which it makes it quite clear, he was performing miracles in Bethsaida and Capernaum and Chorazan. But they didn't believe him. They rejected him like the dying man on the thief, despite they'd heard him speak. They'd seen the miracles. And he says, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been formed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment day for, than for you. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. So there's one that's lifted to the heavens. That's where the righteous thief went when he was resurrected with Jesus. And paradise and heaven are now one the same. But then another waiting place for those like the other thief who rejected him. It's a stark warning for us, isn't it? We hear about the words of Jesus. They did. They saw the miracles of Jesus. Many people have observed miracles. Sometimes a healing miracle, but sometimes a miracle of a changed life, which is the greatest miracle of all. Maybe a family member has become a Christian and you've seen the change. Maybe a friend at work has become a Christian and you see the change. Maybe somebody you know that has told the story, or maybe you've heard about it, or maybe you've read about it, and you've seen the change. But we remain like the town of Bethsaida, unbelieving and unrepentant. We're not like the thief who, despite being guilty, turned and said, oh, have mercy upon me, Lord, remember me. When you come into your paradise, because I see that you're a king, and you are, you're not on this cross for what you deserve, but you are dying for what I deserve. So Jesus is risen. That's where the man on the cross is now. And Paul had a near-death experience. And we read about it in the book of Corinthians. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about heaven. And Jesus, and we read in these verses how heaven and paradise are now one and the same place. I know a man in Christ, that basically somebody who's turned to Christ and now is living in Christ and with Christ. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Do you say the third heaven? Now the third heaven, basically, the first heaven in scripture is like our sky, 
The second heaven is like the universe, and the third heaven is where God dwells, is where his throne is. It's where Jesus is now, with God the Father. I was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it be in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things. So Paul, like so many people who have had near-death experiences and encountered heaven, had a hard time expressing and describing his experience. How can you explain a color that you've never seen before? How can you express a note of music that you've never heard? How can you fully explain the joy and the love that you've never encountered before that is so great that it actually heals you? How can you describe a light that is brighter than the sun but doesn't hurt your eyes? This is paradise. This is heaven. This is the place where Jesus is. This is the home where we go after life when we choose Jesus and turn to him. This is our hope and this is our joy. This is our confident expectation. This is what Jesus said, truly, truly, I reassure you. I reassure you. No matter what you've done, where you are, what you've been, I reassure you today, because you have acknowledged me and turned to me, you'll be with me. And this is our assurance, and this is why we don't have to fear death. When we choose to turn to Jesus, who died and suffered and rose, when we say like the criminal, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, we will hear those words. Truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. For every person who's done that, let those reassuring words just bring you a peace that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. Never let your heart be troubled. No matter what happens in life, don't let it overwhelm you. Don't despair. Don't let all the trouble and the torment and the and the conflict and the uncertainty in today's world worry you because there is a, there is a rock-solid future for you that is totally different. And if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, do, do. For he stretched out his arms to you. He can't open them any wider to embrace you freely that you may know what it is to be with Jesus and have his confident peace and security in life with a sure and certain future before you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit will reassure every person who's turned to you that there's nothing to fear because you have secured our future. And every person who hears these words and has not yet made that decision, I pray they will do so now. And if that's you, why don't you pray this prayer, a prayer of turning to Jesus, like the dying man on the cross. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. I acknowledge you as the King of heaven. I acknowledge you as the one who came to die on the cross for my sins, that you became guilty so that I could be pardoned. 
and I turn to you and ask you to remember me and forgive my sins and come into my life and help me to live every day of my remaining days for you and your will and your purpose, loving you and serving you. And may I have the peace and the assurance and the gift of eternal life, heaven and paradise with you. In Jesus' name, amen.